This is Chrysalis. Part 5 My legs hurt. It was a deep, constant pain that increased with every movement, accompanied by a stiffness that slowly but surely spread throughout my entire body. I made my way to my window and looked out at Jovit's biggest city. Its location had been carefully chosen for its access to the planet's single ocean, and whose surrounding mountains protected it from the seasonal storms that battered the continent. I saw a mix of prefabricated, boxy white houses, warehouses and workshops here and there. High-rise constructions of bare concrete and steel emerged from the sea of domiciles, such as the lodging I was staying in. This main city enjoyed far more activity than the other towns I had been visiting recently. I had been taken on tours of irrigation projects, oxygenic tree plantations, ground decalcification facilities, and all the other places whose names I couldn't and didn't care to remember. If I didn't know better, I would have thought Jovit's commissary of agriculture suspected our ulterior motives for being there. But no. Either the Zenvirian was a great actor, or he thought our intentions were honest. And I leaned towards the latter. I had spent the last days a hostage of the commissary's effusive personality, informing me of everything there was to know about farming in a colony world. And I had the sore legs to prove it. From my window, I could see the embassy ship. The white, wedge-shaped vehicle with gold accents and elegant designs etched on its surface. The very one Nakstani and I used to get here. It was parked right at the edge of the enormous expanse of asphalt that was Jovit's only spaceport. I glanced across the bay towards the Colonial Directorate building, where my boss was at the moment. Always one step ahead, Nakstani had excused herself from the agrarian excursion that I was forced to endure and decided to stay at the Directorate, visiting the local governors and high-ranking officers. Her true intent was to acquaint herself with what would become the defense center should the planet be attacked. When that happened, being there would give us first-hand information on Zunvir's enemies. I relaxed my ocular membranes, letting them water my tired eyes, and slowly sat down in the room's only chair. I sighed, activating my augmented irises and going through the documents and the work I had been neglecting for days when a link to my boss opened. Hi, Duckhead. Have any plans for this afternoon? Yeah, actually, I'm visiting an animal food reprocessing facility. Why don't you join me? I'm sure you'll enjoy it. Uh, maybe you should consider getting a sprained tendon or something. Just stay here this afternoon. Wait, wait, wait. Is it happening now? As her only response, I received a video link. I opened it. A floating screen only I could see appearing in midair. It was a direct feed from her irises showing me what she was seeing. Nakstani was at some sort of control room, standing next to a large screen with a group of Zanvirian officers. The screen showed a view of Jovit from orbit. The fleet of defensive military ships clearly visible and a purple icon indicating an incoming warp tunnel. Yes. Time to collapse in three hours. It could be a civilian vessel, but... All civilian ships were supposed to relay their warp jump plans to the authorities ahead of time. It's the Terrans. This is the attack they're bracing for. 
Mm, I'd imagine. Should I join you there? No, you're one street away from the spaceport as it is. If we have to evacuate, go to our ship and just wait for me there. Keep this vid link open, though. We reverted to a tense silence watching the on-screen countdown timer. I watched through Nakstani's feed as a group of military officers entered the control room and started evicting all the civilians. They tried to kick her out of the room too, but she very calmly declared having direct authorization by the Emperor himself to oversee any military operations. I scoffed at her attempt, but the Zenvirians appeared to accept the bluff. Maybe they just had more urgent matters to worry about. Either way, she was allowed to remain. The timer was down to one hour. I opened the large cabinet in my room and removed the small travel bag. I filled it with an emergency supply of synthetic food bars and medical supplies that I always traveled with. I added some extra clothing items and my energy handgun, issued to all council embassy members, just in case. Half an hour remained in the countdown. The Zenvirian fleet had adopted a strange and very sparse formation in front of the warp tunnel's estimated exit point. I anxiously looked up at the sky through my window, but of course, I couldn't see anything. Just a blue slate with some puffy white clouds. In the avenue outside, the sparse traffic flowed as usual. I expected sirens to have gone off by now, but either the Zenvirians were confident they prevail or they were trying not to rattle the city. I wondered if Nakstani's and my presence in the colony had anything to do with that. It's not like there were many places for the locals to take refuge, even if an emergency alarm had sounded. The best option would be running out of the city and into the surrounding farmland and mountains. Evacuating the planet was also out of the question. In the history of the Council, many military leaders had proposed global escape plans in case of a military attack, but they were always deemed logistically infeasible. Planets with large populations were simply impossible to evacuate in time, and lesser populated planets hadn't the resources to invest in a reliable system. The most sage recommendation in case of a planetary assault was to hunker down and weather the worst. Civilians were usually respected, and eventually wars ended. Treaties were signed, and a solution was reached for the local populations. If the Terrans won here, they'd commandeer the colony and install their own interim government that could last months. It would give Nakstani and me the opportunity to talk formally with the newly discovered species, while also overseeing the treatment of the Zenvirian natives. I might not even need the travel bag. Soon after the counter had reached 20 minutes, the screen shifted from the orbital view to a detailed close-up of the warp tunnel's projected exit point. T-minus 10 minutes. Even through the feed, I could feel how tense Nakstani was. Could she feel me? Five minutes. I closed my travel bag and readied it in the center of the room. One minute. Nakstani let out a breath which made me realize I had been holding my own. 30 seconds. It was happening. 10. I watched as the countdown timer went through the last numbers. 5. My eye membranes contracted involuntarily to protect my delicate eyeballs. 3. 2. This was it. 1. 0. The instant seemed to stretch. Lasting forever. As if I were caught in some sort of time dilation. 
fearfully looked back at the screen and saw the image had changed to something gigantic but unidentifiable. When the camera zoomed out, putting the overwhelming image in context, I couldn't comprehend what I was seeing. You look tired. I take it the caffeine, toothpaste, and adrenaline face serum aren't working? Well, maybe you should ask Santa for a nectar mattress this year. And if the big guy brings you another unicorn finger puppet, don't worry, because mattresses start at just $499, and you get $399 in accessories thrown in, as well as a 365-night home trial and a forever warranty. Go to Nectarsleep.com today. In 60 minutes, you can fulfill your alcohol orders through Drizzly, the number one app for alcohol delivery. With Drizzly... You can easily browse your favorite brands, compare prices of local stores, and then have your necessary spirit supplies delivered, just in time to craft your next chrysalis cocktail. Download the app or visit DRIZLY.com today. Use code DUST and save $5 on your first order. They would have known. The Galactic Council would have known were there a civilization in the Orion Arm capable of building such a behemoth. The amount of resources and time energy to put this thing into space. And yet, there it was. A starship the size of a city. How is this possible? I was still trying to process the implications when the screen's image changed again. New ships joining the oversized monster now looked closer to what I had originally expected. A flagship with its escorting vessels. Except that each of the smaller vehicles was large enough to qualify as a flagship of its own. Larger than any ship in any fleet of any nation in the Galactic Council. I was looking at the nine biggest starships in the entire galaxy. Just when I thought it couldn't get any worse, the screen started filling with hundreds, thousands, tens of thousands of icons as new contacts appeared. Entire waves of smaller vehicles coming out of the larger ships. There were so many of them, the sensors couldn't keep pace. The red icons moved and danced around the mass of vessels as if they were teeming schools of minnows around a giant well like a swarm. There wasn't any better word to describe it. On screen, the Terrans were beginning their attack moving as a large group towards an arbitrary battleship. I finally found my words. Are the Zemvirians trying to contact them? Yes, I got them to add our message as well. So far, no response. I was incensed at the developing situation. It was obscene for the Terrans to use such a display of force to make such an overwhelming, powerful attack against the small colony world, as if they had no sense of proportionality whatsoever. The reasoning for the Zenvirians' unorthodox formation became quickly apparent as the rest of their warships moved towards the flanks of the invader, encircling the swarm and opening fire with all their energy weapons. At once, hundreds of beams were crisscrossing the intervening empty space. The screen struggled to reflect the number of Terran casualties, the hundreds of ships that they were losing in the barrage of Zenvirian laser fire. It appeared the smaller Terran craft weren't protected by any shields. But the mob of them didn't seem to thin whatsoever. 
ominously enduring the assault without even slowing its advance. I chose to assume that they had no live pilots on board as a way to compartmentalize the catastrophe that I was witnessing, but I was swiftly reminded that the swarm's target, the Zenvirian battleship that had been singled out by the Terrans and now submitted to its role as bait, was certainly piloted by a crew. I had always known there was something horrifying about war. It had a rational madness to it, but seeing it play out in front of me was starkly different than questioning it from the safety of a philosophical essay. I watched the Terran craft finally reach their objective and begin to slowly envelop the doomed battleship. And then things started happening very fast. A white flash in the screen marked the disappearance of the targeted ship along with a small chunk of the antagonistic swarm. A few seconds later, seven more flashes followed, each at the position of a close Zunvarian vessel. I heard Nakstani utter the words, Nuclear weapons. My mind raced to consider the diplomatic consequences of detonating thermonuclear devices in the orbit of an inhabited green world. It was a direct contravention of the most fundamental war treaties of the Galactic Federal Council. I abandoned that train of thought as I saw the eight massive Terran escorting ships separate themselves from the blob of smaller craft and do something truly unbelievable. Instantaneously, they rocketed forth at such an astonishing speed, their acceleration so disproportionately high, I wasn't sure how the ship's structure could handle the extreme force. And if there had been crews on board, there no longer were, as the velocity would have turned them to paste. Each of the eight escorting ships were now hurtling towards a different Zunvirian battleship. The battleships that had stood out of range of the swarm during the entire firefight the ones that had housed the fleet admirals and tactical command centers. The Terran ships had crossed most of the empty space separating them from the battleships in just a couple of seconds, but they didn't stop. They just kept accelerating, homing in on their targets. I realized they didn't intend to stop. The Terrans were using their own ships as oversized battering rams, as missiles. Berserk species that lacked any moral consideration towards the lives of even their own. The Zenvirian battleships, like me, had been startled by the strange maneuver. They fired their thrusters, desperately trying to evade, but they simply couldn't match their Terran counterparts' maddening acceleration. A moment later, I stared in disbelief as the icons for the targeted vessel simply vanished from the screen. Nakstani's blunt voice interrupted the feed. She didn't bother to subvocalize. Delcat, we are evacuating. Get to our ship and pick me up. As if on cue, the rest of the Terran swarm exploded small dots flying everywhere towards each and every one of the remaining Zenvarian ships, even towards the planet itself. I reached for my travel bag and left the room, my heart beating fast. The Zenvarian formation was in shambles. Amazingly, half of the giant Terran escort ships had survived their respective impacts and were coming in for a second pass. 
the defending fleet was disorganized. Some ships turning to respond to this new menace, others trying to contain the rising tide of the swarm. A series of white flashes followed, and more signal graphics disappeared. Maxtani's vid link started freezing and losing visual coherence, interference continuously blocking the image and sound. All of the nuclear explosions must have been drowning the planet in a storm of electromagnetic pulses, and our communicators weren't designed to operate under such conditions. Scampering down the stairs, I closed the video feed to save bandwidth, keeping the audio link still open. I looked back at the sky as soon as I exited the building. A mesmerizing red and green aurora blanketed the whole horizon, north to south. The tent was slowly expanding, lazily stretching above the clouds as if a colored lens were eclipsing a dome above me. I ran towards the adjacent spaceport, dodging the locals who stood there, motionless all over the street, mouths agape, staring at the sky. I heard the sudden voice of Nakstani. I said you've got a war at the council. You must make it to the ship. Go again. The, the link, it's, it's, it's cutting. You have to work out and type D emergency. I noticed that the sky was now turning purple. What, what had she said? Something about the ship. I was now running past the landing gear of the giant commercial freighters parked all over the spaceport. Nakstani, I'm almost at the ship. I could see it. The embassy ship. I rushed towards its boarding ramp where one of the support staff was signaling me to move faster. Nakstani had probably contacted them too because the vehicle's engines were already running, filling the air with their piercing noise, raising a cloud of dust and wind that tugged at my clothes and buffeted my exposed silvery skin. I climbed the ramp and entered the vehicle and tried Nakstani again. We should try contacting the Terrans using the ship's quantum relay. Maybe, maybe we can still negotiate a truce or... I don't know, stop them from shooting us down once we get up there? I don't have time to explain. Please, just listen to what I'm saying. You need to warn the cow and declare a Type G emergency. She just said Type G emergency. I used my hands to grasp at the door handles and walls to keep my balance as the spaceship had already started its bumpy ascent. I heard Type G emergency. Please confirm a Type G emergency status. It's... I can't hear you. Nakstani? The link died. I was still trying to decipher Nakstani's words when I reached the ship's narrow cockpit. I fell into the free seat next to the young pilot who was currently focused on manually operating the vehicle. Nakstani had said to warn the council. A Type G emergency. My training kicked in. Type G an event with the potential to cause grave loss of life and property across the entirety of the Galactic Federal Council and its associated states. Type Gs were an almost theoretical concept. Only one had ever formally been declared in the history of the Galactic Council when an artificially engineered virus had spread across seven stellar systems, menacing to kill hundreds of billions, declaring one here seemed excessive. Even after witnessing the Terran's actions, what else had Nakstani seen? I engaged the ship's quantum relay from my console and started inputting my identification code. I glanced out of the cockpit windows as I waited for the link to establish. The ship was now skimming the roofs of the city houses, moving towards the monolith of the directorate building. I saw locals and Virians in the streets turning to run towards nearby shelter. 
A few stopped to look out at our passing vehicle moving out of the way of the tornado its engines were creating. The console pinged, waiting for me to talk. This is Assistant Ambassador Dalkit, Code 376 Sphere, speaking on behalf of Ambassador Nakstani. Code 939 Sphere, I'm declaring a Type G emergency. A Type G emergency originating at the Zunvir Republic Yovit system. I didn't miss the bewildered glance the pilot gave me. The console pinged again. The message had been parsed by the automatic receiver the link was redirecting. Up above, there were hundreds of white trails slowly crisscrossing the sky. There was something... Something else Nakstani had seen. What had she tried to say in... Expo... Expo... Expo what? And just then, I remembered something. Terran. That was what the Corvette captain had said back at the Empyrean Palace. Terran. Not Terrans. One. Singular. The Terran. A voice came out of the console. This is Permanent Security Dispatch speaking to Assistant Ambassador Dowkit. Please confirm the declaration of Type G Emergency. Type G Emergency confirmed. Elaborate. The Zunvir Republic has been attacked by an exponential replicator, codenamed... Terran. Replicator appears to be intelligent and of artificial nature and does not respond to communication attempts. Replicator is already in control of three... Correction. Four stellar... Light. A deafening noise. A roaring shadow darkening all. A fleeting moment of panic as left became down and right became up. Rolling and crashing, a searing flash of pain across my mind, and then... Darkness. That was Chrysalis Part 5. Performed by Corey Hawkins, Tony Collette, Jen Christopher, and Matthew Wolfe. Directed by Alex Kemp. Chrysalis was written by S.H. Serrano and adapted by Stephen Michael and Macklin Malogi. Chrysalis is executive produced by Corey Hawkins, executive produced by Stephen Michael, and associate produced by Sarah Newton at Gunpowder and Sky. This season is produced by Toby Lawless at Wolf at the Doors Studios.